Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar. It's one of the most famous rock operas of all time. It debuted on Broadway in 1971. It used contemporary lyrics and attitudes to tell the story of Jesus' last week of life. Okay, right about now, you might be asking, what the heck does this have to do with the dark web? You know, that secret, dangerous place on the internet. Is Jesus going to go there and save it? Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot in common. You see, there's a specific scene, and it explains what the dark web is when you think about it. And you'll remember exactly what I'm talking about if you've ever seen the movie or the play. It's the temple scene. People are buying and selling everything you can imagine. Women are trying on clothes. Pots and pans are being sold, as well as postcards, produce, even machine guns. And there are also prostitutes, drugs, and alcohol. Every vice you can think of. It's all for sale in the open market for anyone to buy or sell with little worry of getting into trouble. Now, do you see where I'm going with all this? I promise you, it'll make total sense. I'm Kim Commando, host of America's largest radio show about everything digital. Now, in this podcast, we're going to dig deep into the dark web, how it got here, what you can do while you're there, the future of the dark net, and why some say it's really not such a bad place after all. Tonight, the information superhighway and one of its main thoroughfares, an online network called Internet. Communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what Internet is? It's a growing is? grid of independent computer networks interlaced. It's evolved the Internet transformed the entire world during the 1990s. It brought about instant communications. You could hop online and talk to anyone on Earth, as long as you were both connected online. And now there are more than 3 billion people using the Internet. Okay, it wasn't designed with privacy in mind. So everything you say and everything you do online is tracked and it is traceable. So today I am announcing my resignation from Congress. Back in the 1990s, a lot of people weren't so thrilled with that idea, including the U.S. government. That's why the Naval Research Laboratory, NRL for short, started developing what's called Onion Routing. It's a network that's directly over the Internet, or what we call the surface web. The surface web is the Internet that you use day after day. It's where Google's located, and Facebook, and Twitter, and Tinder, and Amazon, and the list goes on. Onion routing allows for secret communications. In other words, no one knows the source or the destination if onion routing is being used. Roger Dingledine, the director of the Onion Routing Project, quickly discovered a problem. The United States government can't simply run an anonymity system for everybody and then use it themselves only because then every time a connection came from it, people would say, oh, it's another CIA agent looking at my website, if those are the only people using the network. So you need to have other people using the network so that they blend together. That means the network must be open and available to everyone in order for the U.S. government to remain anonymous. So the federal authorities released something called TOR. It stands for The Onion Router. It's software that's needed to access the network of onion routers. Millions upon millions of people use Tor every single day for everything from browsing the web, maybe they just want to remain anonymous when they do it, 
A lot of people use Tor because they don't want advertisers tracking them. And then there are the other people who use Tor for a completely different reason. Maybe they're buying and selling illegal products like drugs or guns. There's crime there like there is anywhere. That's Alex Winter. He's probably best known for playing Bill Preston in the 1989 film Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill S. Preston, Esquire! Excuse us, dude. I wrote this myself. Alex has come a long way since playing the dim-witted Bill Preston. He's now a successful documentary filmmaker who recently produced a film titled The Deep Web. He has a different stance. He believes that despite everything that you read, the dark net is not a place that should be feared. Instead, you just need to understand it. The dark net is mostly not used by nefarious criminals. It's mostly used by people who just want privacy on the internet. Tor is just one of several dark nets, and together they make up something that's called the dark web. The dark web forms a small part of the deep web. I know, it starts getting confusing. Here's a better way to think about it. Imagine an iceberg. The tip of the iceberg, the part you can see above the surface of the water, is the surface web. That's the part of the internet that you can search with Google or Firefox or whatever you use. Underneath that, just below the surface of the water, is the deep web. Here, you have things that are not indexed by the usual search sites. Hang with me on this. Think about the deep web as a bathroom door. We don't want everything to be visible, just like human beings don't like being, we like, we like to wear clothes, we like to have a door in our bathroom, we like to have blinds on our living room window. Well, here's the development of privacy on the internet. And finally, the dark web, a fraction of the deep web that consists of several dark nets, including Tor. In order to access the information there, you have to use specific software. Tor uh, functions in two ways. It functions as an actual browser that you can just have on uh, your desktop. And what that browser does is it actually hides your, um, your position in the internet. It masks where you are online, right? So that's part A. Part B is Tor Hidden Services. It allows you to access all those darknet websites but in order to do so, you need to use the right software. That's Tor, and you also need to know the web address. It usually ends in a dot .onion. Now, there are legitimate sites that operate hidden services on the dark net. Everything from social media giant Facebook to the search site DuckDuckGo. And then there are the sites that are downright frightening. They sell everything from drugs and guns and even hitman services. One of those sites was called Silk Road. It sold $1.2 billion worth of drugs before it was taken down. A few months later, Silk Road's administrators launched Silk Road 2.0. They were ultimately arrested, and again, the site was taken down. A few hours after that, well, you can guess where I'm going, Silk Road 3.0 popped up. The site was taken down again, and it was replaced by a brand new one. Yes, again. Law enforcement is rightfully surveilling for criminality anywhere in mm. a back alley of your town, on the public surface web, or in the dark net. They're not going to be picky and choosy about, about where they look for criminality. Police constantly scour the web for a variety of crimes, everything from human trafficking and gambling to child pornography. In fact, one site, Playpen, contained almost 250,000 videos and photos that catered to people looking for child pornography. And this is especially alarming. It had nearly 60,000 members before it was taken down. We're going to talk about how terror groups and others are using the dark net. All that is next.
I heard some noise when I was at the bistro, which is where I work. I got out, I started running. I was looking for where the sound was coming from. I figured out it was coming from Le Carillon and Le Petit Cambodge. I arrived at the scene and there were lots of dead bodies on the ground. Lots of dead bodies. Lots of dead bodies. The dark net is a lot of things, and it's a place where terror groups and unscrupulous governments are planning attacks. By the way, it's not a question about if they will attack. It's really a question of when. Sean Henry is a former assistant director of the FBI. He was on the front lines in the battle against cyber threats. And what we focused on is how do you identify and detect the adversaries coming into the network? And then what does the network owner do to try and mitigate the consequences of the attack? In other words, if you're able to respond quickly as the owner of a network, you can mitigate the consequences and eliminate any significant damages. What happens oftentimes, though, is the adversaries are in the networks completely undetected for months or years. And this is where the really significant damages occur. So from a government perspective, or even a private sector perspective, eliminate vulnerabilities, create deterrence, that's got to work hand in hand. But organizations themselves have to protect themselves, much like homeowners can't rely on the police to stand in front of their homes. They've got to have alarms, they've got to have some capabilities to detect and deter people. Governments around the world are using the dark net to plan and carry out massive cyber attacks on other governments. A massive cyber attack shut down popular websites like Twitter and Netflix and more for several hours. It started on the East Coast and slowly spread to the West Coast. This attack focused on household electronics, like webcams and baby monitors and smart home devices. It's called the Internet of Things. The attack worked because hackers were able to overload key parts of the internet with so much traffic that it paralyzed service for hundreds of thousands of people. It's called a denial of service attack. This is the world we're living in. Think about if the entire internet went out across the nation. It would be a catastrophe. You have to remember, there isn't just an on-off switch for the internet. Whomever is attacking you, if their goal is to stop you from using the internet, then having you disconnect from the internet has achieved their goal, right? If you've disconnected from the internet, then you're not able to do any of the day-to-day -day business that you would normally do, so that would, would achieve their goal. Uh, I, you know, I don't know, there's, there's been a, a lot of talk about you know, turning off the internet or disconnecting from the internet if the U.S. was attacked. I don't know that we can effectively do that with the depth and breadth of, of uh, internet usage that we've, we've got today. While the government digs deeper into finding answers into cybersecurity, what can you do? Whatever gadgets that you have in your home that are connected to the internet, you always have to make sure that you have the latest firmware updates. In addition to that, be sure that you always change the default passwords. And you've heard it before, and I'll say it again, never use the same password for all your gadgets. As we get more and more connected to the Internet of Things, those things have to be protected from being hacked. But the Internet of Things is more than a webcam, your refrigerator, a baby monitor, or washing machine. We're talking about everything from cars to hospital medical devices. If it hooks up to the Internet, it can conceivably get hacked. Steve Chabinski led the Cyber Intelligence Program at the FBI for about 17 years. Um, Vice President Cheney disclosed that his doctor, when he had um, uh, heart surgery, ensured that there was no remote capabilities to get in so that he wouldn't be from thousands of miles away killed over the Internet. And when you start hearing that, that this is not the stuff of science fiction any longer, that people can be killed over the Internet, that's your aha moment, hopefully, 
before it actually happens so you could do something about it. So as the government looks for answers, they're faced with the realization that there's a fine line between cybersecurity and allowing people the freedom to use the internet without being tracked or traced. That issue, that question of what rights to privacy do we have mm -hmm. in this day and age, is a huge shift in human culture. What rights do we have and why should we have them and how do we protect them and what laws need to be changed and what laws are being breached in the, in the ways in which we exist in that space. The, the internet crosses boundaries. Mm -hmm. So if I'm an American but I may be using a server that's in a foreign country, does the government have a right to pull that server you, you know, by having some interchange with that country that, that is unconstitutional in my country? These are the same questions that are being asked and answered every day in courtrooms across the United States. And so far, there's been one overwhelming answer. It's hard for the law to keep up with technology. Let's dispel a myth once and for all. The surface web is not just this thin layer of the internet on top of a massive criminal underground. And you shouldn't confuse the dark web with the much larger deep web. A recent study by Terbirium Labs found that there are more than 2,700 dot .onion websites active on the Tor network. Now, out of those, about 1,500 websites provided illicit material for their users. But get this, only 3% of all Tor users actually visited those hidden services. This means is that the majority of people who are using Tor, they are simply using it to surf the web anonymously. They don't want advertisers tracking them. They don't want Google tracking them and they don't want their government tracking them either. A lot of people wonder why the US government just won't shut down the dark web. First of all, they can't. The internet was designed so that it could never ever be taken down. There are servers located all around the world, routers directing traffic all over the world. And in a sense, the US government needs it as much as anyone else does. There are things purchased and sold on the dark web that are downright frightening. I'm talking about a hitman for $45,000. You can also get fake driver's license and fake citizen documents. You can even buy napalm, tanks, and ammo. And some of this stuff won't break the bank. Remember those 200 million Yahoo accounts that were hacked? Well, they sold on the dark web for, get this, $1,800, all 200 million of them. If that's still too expensive, crooks can buy stolen credit card credentials for $30, and that includes the owner's personal information. Now, you know I would never condone illegal or unethical activities. Offensive material can sometimes be just a click away. Browse at your own risk. Never break the law. Use the dark web safely and for legal purposes only. Thanks for listening to this Commando On Demand podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to share this information with your family members and friends. My podcasts are available on iTunes and in the Google Play Store. But the best way to listen is to get them in the free commando.com app. Just search for Commando in iTunes or Google Play. And just a reminder, if you're not already getting my podcast delivered to you automatically, make sure that you subscribe on Apple iTunes or Google Play. This podcast is not the Kim Commando Show. You could learn more about the Kim Commando Show podcast by heading over to getkim.com. That's getkim.com.